And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Amen. You may be seated. There are a few elements, uh, you know, in this tension of uh, even today in our Sunday school, someone asked, do we follow the Old Testament or the New Testament? Well, you have to rest assured that they have met each other in the person of Jesus Christ. So don't feel pressure to ask that. Because you, if you are truly following Jesus, through his life you're automatically fulfilling both. So today is the first Sunday of a month, and we're looking again at spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. There's nothing you and I can do about us being born of the Spirit of God. And there's nothing you and I can do about us being clothed with power from on high by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is at the discretion of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what is my role then as a spiritual being? And our role as a spiritual being is to be built by the Spirit of God. And up till now, we have done seven of those spiritual disciplines that I've talked to you uh, about what could help us in that formation. And one, we looked at living in the power of our baptism. Then we looked at celebrating the Lord's table. We do that once a month. Some churches do it every time they meet. Some do it once a quarter. Some do it every week. Uh, you know, that's not the point of it. But the point of it is that it's not meant to be a routine or a religious rite as we do it. We looked at feeding on God's Word. And guess what? We are daily in God's Word, reading and praying. Walking in the spirit of forgiveness. This is something that we also covered Maintaining integrity of heart, abiding in the fullness of the Spirit as we walk. We also looked at, last month, living a life of submission. Something that is extremely unpopular, uh, you know, in an egotistical society. Also today, we're going to look at something called practicing solitude. And people usually tell me, oh, you know, Pastor, I'm kind of interested about the subject. This is not about being interested in the subject. This is very practical. 
But yes, since we get to there, you, people will say, I always wonder about the monasteries and the monks. What role do they have in Christianity? Did any of you ever wonder that? Maybe nobody in this church, but you know, in other churches, people ask me, you know, I always wonder, what about the nuns? Oh, you wonder about that too, Chris? Oh, you have an answer? Go ahead. Excuse me? Okay, yeah. Intercessory prayers, sure. But you know uh, that there's a friction. There's a friction between being an individual and being part of a body or a community. And today it will bless you because look, it just so happened. This was another discussion in the Sunday school and I'm talking about it today in church. So the Lord wanted someone to hear about this and to learn. So here in this church maybe. See how, uh, how the Lord works above and beyond our own, uh, you know, things of the day. So yes, there is, uh, there is something that links fellowship and the life within a body and something that links being alone and solitary with the Lord. So yes, uh, this is something that uh, we will approach today. Now, dualities are all over the Bible. And this is a duality, whether believe it or not. Being in solitude with the Lord and being in fellowship with a body of believers. This is a duality just the way we have a duality. If we were to say a duality to the way Jesus lived. Can we add someone to that? Not really, but in certain ways, we can look at someone who preceded him. Who preceded? John the Baptist. Did John the Baptist live like a hermit? His entire life, he lived pretty much like a hermit, like a monk. And not in a nice monastery where it was in the wilderness as a monk. In a cave, used the river, ate honeys and locusts. Almost like someone says, you know what, I'm done with Anchorage. I'm going to go build a cabin somewhere in inland Alaska. You know, and I'm going to start crying there to the villages and start yelling and crying to the Lord so people can hear the truth. You know, we here in the church, if we would hear, oh, there's some lunatic guy that goes around there and does all this stir and God is speaking to him. I wonder how we would respond. Because literally that's what people thought of him from mighty Jerusalem. All the Sadducees, all the scribes, all the Pharisees. Oh, there's a guy there stirring up and there's even priests and scribes that are coming down to him now. And even some of the people that, that serve us, they are... Out there, they're beginning to turn. Interesting enough, the Lord Jesus says about this John the Baptist, which I told you to, to know this phrase because it's a good phrase to minister to Catholics. And from those born of a woman, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And when they tell you Mary is a co-redeemer and she's very strong, 
you'll say, was Mary older than John the Baptist? Sure she was, because he wasn't even born when she went to visit him. So she was born of a woman. Uh, and you tell me she's almost co-equal with Christ and, and so forth. If you tell them, well, look what the Word of God says, that no one born of a woman was greater than John the Baptist, how can you tell me that Mary was greater than John the Baptist? So don't argue with them. Just say, please take this to your priest and ask your priest. And then the priest will answer and, you know, it will be beneficial for you to continue that conversation if you have a Catholic person that worships the saints or Mary and so forth. Because from what I found, to my surprise, most of the priests say, no, that passage is right. So then he says, well, we have all this Mary theology and what we do. And the priest says, yeah, we teach that, but this passage in the Bible is right. So now they have to say, well, which one's right? The Bible or what we teach as Mary theology? As a co-deliverer. You know, so forth. So it, it gives you room to begin to bring the truth for someone who has been raised in that environment. But nonetheless, uh, we see here that this hermit spending most of his time away from people, but still having disciples, still having some interaction, is not just separated completely, is also the one that Jesus claims he was the greatest. I mean, you could imagine if someone would have done great things inside of Jerusalem where there's millions of people to be reached, not someone who's on the fringes that the Lord would say such a thing about. Someone that to a certain extent brought shame to a high priest family in not taking the role to be in the temple serving as a priest as well. So it goes counter-culture and counter-intuitive to our reality. Let's move forward and see uh, if you guys like to read books. I would recommend one author. Actually, I have not read anything that was bad from this guy. His name is Stozer. And he says, we Christians must simplify our lives or lose untold treasures on earth and in eternity. Modern civilization is so complex as to make the devotional life all but impossible. It wears us out by multiplying distractions and beats us down, destroying our solitude. Where otherwise we might drink and renew our strength before going out to face the world again. Let me ask you, if you just go to your job, if you go out to the world and you don't sense a resistance and the fact that you're in a battle, you're not quite right and you need to back up and spend time with the Lord to realize it is a danger. <coughs> that you are in a war as we speak. The thoughtful soul retires, said the poet of, of other and quieter times, but where is the solitude to which we can retire today? Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Is a wise and a healing counsel. But how can it be followed in this day of the newspaper, the telephone, the internet, the radio, the TV, the computers? These moderns play things 
like pet tiger cubs, have grown so large and dangerous that they threaten to devour us all. Sometimes when we're even alone and we try to spend time with God, we demolish that by saying, okay, I'm going to spend time with God, but I'm going to search YouTube to listen to something that I like. What does that mean? You cannot practice solitude unless you learn how to come to a place of silence. And you know what I've seen from many people? That if they truly come to a place of silence and they're not walking with the Lord well, fear grips them when they're in total silence. So they actually need noise to get away from a spiritual condition that may be oppressing them. Because believe me or not, when you're not in a healthy place and you come to a place of silence, not just the Lord will speak to you, certain things will begin to come out. Whether it be sins, whether there be issues, whether there be uh, stresses, whether there be anxieties, worries, whether there be some challenges of the demonic, Let's move to the principle. We are considering the wisdom and benefits of regularly experiencing both private and personal presence, both private and personal presence of God and personal time away from life's demands. Without the occasional life of solitude, life and service will become a blare, a right, a distance afterthought. It produces discouragement, distraction, and defeat. Not even mentioning the lack of direction and discernment we accumulate along the way. We become blind to living a fruitless life and that hangs by the thread of justification upon doing something and turning our attention to complaining in the end. But if we regularly practice solitude, we commune with God. Life will have direction. We will be free of distraction. We will lose ourselves in Him and experience spiritual dynamism. And that word is in the Bible, dunamis, from where we have power in Greek, and therefore it shows us how we connect to the reality of seeing fruit and seeing the Spirit in power in our life. Now, let's go to the practice of this discipline. The practice of solitude is neither an attempt to escape reality, nor a retreat from responsibility, nor a time to do that which is a hobby or worse, an idol. Because, you know, sometimes you say, well, I can use a retreat to go fishing or to go hunting. Because I really love that. And I do. i be honest. I, no one has to teach me to do what I like. God doesn't have to tell me, practice that. I'll tell you right now. He doesn't have to remind me. He doesn't have to tell me. I gravitate that way. Rather, it is the biblical response to the timeless reality that demands, that, that demands of duty. You know people are walking with the Lord and they're doing the things of the Lord when regularly they need to practice solitude. That's one of the worst things that you can see about a pastor or a servant in the church that if they don't practice solitude, it's a problem. If the pastor doesn't take a Sabbath, it will become a problem. 
if the pastor has too many projects open, there's a problem with direction. I'm just making myself at fault, but it doesn't mean that that's not true for your own life as well. Biblical response to the time is reality that demands of duty, the swore of activities, the pressures of circumstances, and the tyranny of the urgent tend to converge on us all. I can't imagine Jesus being up on the hill praying, and Peter comes up, where were you all, all night? People had gathered around uh, Peter's house to be healed, to be delivered. And Peter comes to Jesus and says, there's people right down there. Come, we need to do the ministry. Do you know what Jesus tells Peter? I am called to preach the gospel. Go take the guys. We're skipping to the next towns to preach the gospel. This almost makes Jesus look not compassionate. Not a nice guy. I have come to do the will of the Father. Guess what? Sometimes that's not the need that we see. Have you heard of the, 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 the big statement that, you know, reform make? This is more in the reform circles. The need does not justify the call. The need does not justify the call. Those are fallen people who don't spend time with the Lord. Hey, we have a need. Let's put someone in. Hey, we have a need. We need to fill that void. There's a great need there. And Jesus, after praying all night, no, 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 I'm not even going to come down. You go take the guys because we're going to skip to the next town. Did you ever think about Peter and how bad you will look going back to his home? Hey, you need to go home. We're skipping town. I guess the Lord didn't think about making Peter look bad. You know what happens when you follow the Lord sometimes? It makes you look bad to people. And they'll gossip about you and they'll say all sorts of things about you. Why? Because you're not always there to fill the void of a need. That's not what we do as Christians. You can only truly see that by a life of practicing solitude. I put together a little bit of a list here with the help. So, inward solitude has outward manifestation. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus lived in this inward solitude that provided us that outward manifestation. He inaugurated his ministry by spending 40 days alone in the desert. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you have a time of intense temptation, withdraw. Withdraw. Before he chose the 12, he spent the entire night alone in the desert hills. Luke 6, 12. When he received the news about John the Baptist's death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart, Matthew 14, 13. After the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus went up into the hills by himself, Matthew 14, 23. 
following a long night at work in the morning, he's tired. So I don't understand. You, you say, well, shouldn't he need to sleep? Again, the need is not the primary thing here. A great while before the day, he arose and went up to a lonely place. Mark 1.35. When the twelve returned from preaching and healing, and we read this mission, Jesus instructed them, come away by yourselves to a holy place. Now teaching them what he was already doing alone. When the twelve returned from, you know, following the healing of a leper, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Luke 5.16. With three disciples, he sought out the silence of a lonely mountain at the stage for the transfiguration. Matthew 17.1-9. And he prepared for his highest and most holy work. What did Jesus do before that work? He withdrew to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Is there any reason or doubt that this was not a clear practice in Jesus' life? Then I got to ask you, why don't we teach it and why don't we practice it as Christians? Because it's very easy to claim Jesus is the way. But if he's doing that, how come we're not discipling and telling people that this is expected for you and I as we are followers of Jesus Christ? In the very first part, if you deny self, isn't that already putting the platform for practicing solitude? It is. If you have a prayer life, it comes together. If you know part of your word and you have a ministry with God in his word, if you have a secret life, this is the big one. When you come to the Lord, you will have a secret life. Your left hand will not know from your right hand what you're giving. You're not living to get praise from other people. You don't stand in front of corners. You have a closet prayer life. Doesn't this seem to go alongside with having a private life with the Lord? Actually, this is what is expectant of every one of you before you come to church. That you do have that, and that is a reality, and that the Lord is speaking to you and can use you. Imagine if this was a reality, how our churches would look like. So do you think we should follow Jesus in this example of practicing solitude? I didn't have to tell my wife, I'm going to go fishing. You know, she, usually people, you know, argue with you if you want to go fishing. Because I hadn't done it for a while, and I said, I'm going to go fishing. She soon realized something is off. Either something's bothering him, or he needs to make a decision or something. So I used the excuse of going fishing, even though I like fishing. But I needed to be away. I needed to be away. It had nothing to do with fishing. Sometimes I would go and I would not catch any fish. 
and leave the fishing pole with the bait for hours there. You know, and I specifically chose a not a good fishing spot because I didn't want people around. Because if I had to cry or yell or complain out loud, I didn't want anyone to hear me. And if I had to hike, not to hear cars go by, even better. Even better. Time with the Lord helps us rekindle. Well, in the midst of a busy ministry life, Jesus established a pattern that teaches his disciples a principle that, that secure balance and that secures a balance and helps us retain our priorities, helps us rekindle with our first love, helps improve in our hearing, in our feeding, in our prayer time, in our praise time, and in our roles as he called us within the greater kingdom and his body. By solitude, I mean being alone with the Lord in a quiet quest for God. You know what happens when you meet someone who is in a quiet quest for God? It will be visible. But do you know what we've replaced that within the church? And it is our fault. We look for people, hey, look how much they're doing for the church and look how much they're serving. We have replaced this reality with something slightly more sick. Look, they must love the Lord because look how busy they are for the Lord. When someone is so driven with their heart, with their first love for the Lord, it is quiet and it's hidden, you only see the manifestation of that reality. You miss someone who's special, who speaks, that bothers you and doesn't quite, it's because they have that. It will not fit the norm. Do you know that there's two types of pastor churches don't like? One who their light is so dark that they look sinful to the church. But the majority of the time, the problem is their light is too bright and it bothers the light that that church has. I want you to go home and turn off the light and try to read the Bible. It will bother you if it's too dark. But take the brightest light that you have and bring it right next to you to the book and light it up. It will bother you very greatly because it's too bright. It's the same way. So it is in our nature to accumulate for us people who do what? I don't want to get punched in my ear. And I don't want someone to be so far away that I can't hear what they say. But I like someone who kind of tickles my ear. Interesting. Being alone with God will separate you from being too far to hear and will protect you from tasting the tickleness. Because people like to be tickled, some more than others. Let's move to the next slide. 
When someone goes into the solitude rather than escaping reality, one finds entrance into it. That is, they come into the freshness of God's presence and the renewal of his purposes for their life blesses them. It teaches us to regain in the quiet what we've lost in the hustle and bustle of our intensely urban, highly industrialized, and technologically complex culture. An example will be time in the world. Time in the world will become mundane, will be something that you do. When you withdraw in this presence, you will realize that when you come into your quiet time, you won't approach it unless your heart is with the right reverence towards it. When you go through your daily routine, you say, oh, it's time for me to read my Bible, and you do it, you've even lost that reverence aspect of approaching God's word. But if you spend quiet time and that begins to be instilled on your soul, it's easier to bring that reality now into your daily routine. So just is just one aspect. It goes into prayer. It goes into Sunday school. If you practice this and you are in those, you will know the person who spends time and prays through the word you will know people who read a lot of commentaries. You will know people who try to find questions. It will be disclosed to you. Jesus says, shows us, by example, to withdraw. To withdraw and spend time with the Lord. Interesting. Now it's hidden. Let's go to the, uh, oh, you're there. Next, go to the next slide. I just wanted to put a couple of, how many of you have heard of St. Basil, the great bishop of Caesarea? You heard of St. Basil, one of the church fathers? This is a famous quote from him. Quiet then, as I have said, is the first step in our sanctification. Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew, therefore, be still is, be like you're dead. In the Psalms, be like you're dead. How many of you heard of Teresa of Avila? Any of you heard of her? Um, the Lord worked through some of those nuns, praying nuns and interceding. Settle yourself in solitude, and you will come upon him in yourself. Now, yes, sometimes we say, well, I don't like the nuns. And the, but, you know, it's, have you tried to pray for 12 hours a day? And to intercede what is not upon you? Try to do that for one hour. It's not easy. At least I don't find it that easy. I'm sorry. I don't. I need to grow in it. Let's move to the next slide. Next slide, please. Oh, it's too small. Yeah. So here we have an example from Paul. Paul was used to do some good ministry in Acts. And um, 
while he's there breaking bread, he starts preaching and he forgets that he's preaching into the night hours for hours. A guy falls asleep in the window. A young man falls down three stories and dies. You know, so some historical accounts tell us that Paul was a very boring preacher. The Bible can testify to this reality. Long, boring messages is not something very attractive. So they make fun of Paul many times. But nonetheless, the boy lives. And after that, they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos. So they had a plan of where to go. Intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. The entire team is going by boat, but they have to wait. Why? Paul's taking the dangerous long road by himself through the wilderness. Do you think there's a purpose for that? Isn't that very selfish? Well, what if we get there early? Are we just going to sit around for you to show up? Okay. And he met us. So who met who? Who got there first? He met us. They got there first and then he showed up at Asos. We took him on board and went to Mytilene. And selling from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched a Samos. And all day after that we went to Miletius. For Paul had decided to sell past Ephesus. Wait a minute. How can that be to go to those small junky places where Ephesus is a bigger place and there's a church? And then Smyrna is half an hour away too. Do you think maybe the Lord gave him direction when he was alone in the wilderness? Because he says, therefore, Paul had decided. Now, I've told you this before. What happened to Paul after his conversion? He withdrew for three years and lived like a hermit in the desert of Arabia, studying the prophets to prepare a plan for preaching the gospel. Three years. That's quite a long time to spend in solitude. And that's what we do in our seminaries too, you know. We send, we send our, 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 our people who are called to seminary and we send them into solitude to improve their relationship with the Lord. Believe it or not, there was one seminary or one time where if you did not spend at least three years in full-time ministry on the mission field, you couldn't even apply to go there. You wouldn't qualify. There are also denominations where you had to be under surveillance by an ordained senior pastor with your ministry that unless the characteristics of Christ and the work of the Spirit is out, you wouldn't qualify to be ordained. Do you see how even at the church leadership level we're moving away and at the core 
is this type of a life. We're replacing it with something else. Okay, let's move to the next slide. Thus, when you give to the needy, we're talking about what here? The proof of a secret life. Giving to the needy, praying, and what else? Giving, praying, and not receiving praise. Those are prerequisites. You cannot have practicing solitude. Learning silence means you are devoted now to listen, to hear. It automatically blinks other feeding on God's word. The prayer path that we haven't talked about is a spiritual discipline, which we will look because that requires more. The commitment to hear God's voice, another spiritual discipline when we look a little later on, it brings other. This personal life that withdraws with the Lord brings a multiple of other disciplines within our life together. If the Lord empowers you with a certain manifestation of the gift, it's not like you are not to practice and to grow in it. You need to learn how to put it to use. Okay, let's move to the next slide. Solitude and journaling we know about meditating on God's word we know about reflection we know about be quieting ourselves and withdrawing but I wanted to speak about journaling finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lowly whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things now, logizo from Greek is the word that's used there, and it's not just think. That was mainly used by bookkeepers to take an account and to jot down what God has done, what's doing, your prayer life, and so forth. So it's moving us into this reality. Sometimes people write a song, sometimes they write a poem, sometimes they journal, but it is good for our life with the Lord, to begin to write and jot some of those things down. Do you know what happens? The Lord answers many times, does with certain issues of our own life and our own sin, and we kind of just let them fly by, and we don't turn it around to make it as a stone that, stone that we place in our soul that can be exposed to other people as a reality in the holy temple that God is building within us on what he's doing. And you have the obligation to do that when you have your quiet time. Because God is not just working with you on a certain issue to lock it up in a chamber. God is working for you on a certain issue because he's likely going to use you up. You say, well, pastor, I had to screw it all up. Well, join the club. You had a screw up life because God is going to prepare you to use in the life of someone else who had a screw up life. It's not for you to keep locked up in your closet. Well, but I'm kind of ashamed of what my past is. 
Well, you have no right for shame because when Jesus was on the cross, he was shamed as well. He didn't only take your sin, but he took your shame. So you lost the right to being shamed. How about that? Then we will stop pointing fingers and saying, oh, look at that person. Oh, oh, look how awful they are and look what they've done. As you can see, when you stop practicing solitude, you begin to empower gossip. When you stop practicing solitude, there's no more link from the individual to the rest of your body to understand that it's the only way you can truly learn how to love one another. So we devoid love within a body, within a community. Lord Jesus, think about these things. It's mathematical, it's bookkeeping, it's noting it down and writing it down and jotting it and making note of it. Now it makes sense if you read the next part. What you have learned and received and hear and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's move to the next slide. Let's look at David. Psalm 38, David responds to the chastening and correcting of the Lord. And he's not ashamed to say it. David writes about his confession of sin before the Lord in Psalm 51. Psalm 73, David complains before God about his discouragement. Others prophets, until when? When you read in 73 later, you see, until he begins, he withdraws and he's complaining, he's yelling. And he comes in the presence of God and says, wow. But all I need is to be with you. But for me, it is good to be near God. Let's be honest with yourself. I wouldn't have to tell you to practice solitude if you could claim to me, it is good to be near you, Lord. Don't you want what's good? No, like I told you, no one has to tell me to like to go fishing or, you know, go play ping pong. No one has to tell me to do that. Or, you know, watch tennis or something like that. No, no one has to tell me. I like to do those things. Or actually even go look to see what's happening about the persecuted church. It's not that I like it. It's there's something that interests me uh, very much and, you know, and other things, right? But if I make... It is good to, for me to be near God. If that's a confession that you have, you won't forget about it. You're actually going to visit it more often than not. And if you visit it, you know what the Lord does with you. And you know a platform of those who don't and a platform of those who do. And you come back into the church and it's very easy to become judgmental. Because you see clearly those who do and those who don't. And it doesn't mean that those who do, do keep doing the things they're doing, they don't have a good intention in what they're doing. They want to do the best that they can. 
but they have not spent time with the Lord to do it. And they don't come from that life. So what's happening here when it says it is good to be near God? God is becoming what? Abundant life. A fountain of life. If that would be true here at church, let's go taste of the Lord. I'm coming to church to taste of the Lord. If you may look crazy when people say, oh, you go to church, yeah, well, how's the preaching? That's already in the, those are people who don't spend time with the Lord. You'll, you'll look crazy, but you will say, you know, AJ, let's go to church, you know, to, your, to, to someone you work with. Let's go taste of the Lord. They'll say, whoa, that's a churchgoer and that's how he speaks. Either he's one of those loony people, I don't want to go to that church or something's off. But I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. What happens from the complaining? He is crying and complaining. The life of the Lord comes with him. And his selfish-centered life turns into God being the center. He's now speaking about all his works. Interesting. Didn't he seem to lose himself in the process? If you want to come after me, deny. Do you see how he's doing it through a life of prayer and praise and solitude before the Lord? Practicing solitude. Should that be a spiritual discipline for us? You'll be tempted. You'll be hit by sickness. You'll go through tough times. You'll have to make big decisions. The Lord may constantly do something to knock on the door. I, I tell you, you know, I had a tough last week. When I first came, I received five or six other job offers from others. Last week, another head of an entire movement called me and said, oh, you're our number one uh, candidate for a job here, and we, we would like you to come. I don't know the guy. I don't know the church. I didn't apply. But I had to take time. I said, Lord, you know, this is not the first time. It's not the second time. It's not the third time. It's not the fourth time. It's not the fifth. It's not the, it's the sixth or seventh. So I had to you know, talk to him Friday morning. I said, I'm sorry. But the Lord's called me here for this time and for as long as he sees. You know, he was trying to say, well, is that a good situation and so forth. It's not really about the situation. Right? Because humanly speaking, you will gravitate towards that which gives you more comfort, more money, bigger church, whatever it is. But it is the direction and the peace of the Lord that needs to guide you. What will happen with the church in this country if we begin to approach pastors by saying, well, let's compare the churches? Do you think that's good practice? 
Is that how pastors who, who are called to serve God need to move about their life? Hey, look, the Lord opened something greater and better. Better is a morsel of bread in a house full of love than feasting in a house full of strife or having the feast of a king. Is it good when there's peace in your heart? Is it good when there's peace in your home? Is it good when the environment of your family is surrounded by love? The connection between the individual, the reality of sin, and the place of love needs to be both corporal and individual, but the link to make that happen comes from from the fountain of life that we need to withdraw with on a regular basis. Let's move to the next slide and we're done. We're going to skip this. There's a lot more to it. Let's move. Okay. wanted to mention this because there will be times in your lives where you may get confused. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his. God is a personal. That means there is that personal time. There is that personal intention. There may be times of the dark souls the night of a dark soul in our life. It could happen. But the Lord, what, what does the Lord say? Encourage us not to do what? To have, to, to, to stand in faith and he's calling us to obedience. We see this again. Resist the devil and he will flee. It's not easy to see the light when the devil is all over. But he's saying that who among you, the question is, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Man, that's got to be a backbone. That's what solitude will also bless you in. Because sometimes there's some rigorous storms that life may bring about. Any of you have ever gone through a storm like that in life? Wow, you're blessed. I've, fortunately, I've had to go through quite a few of those storms. And I knew I couldn't make it unless I was every day beginning my day at the foot of the cross. I couldn't see beyond that. That was my only place of refuge and strength and sanity. But it came through a time of learning how to practice solitude. Solitude. 